Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of the discussion of the defense against the Seahawks after this wonderful 37-3 win. We had a lot of fun in the first episode talking with our friend Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how you doing? Ken, I'm doing great. Love to talk about the Ravens football after a big win. So looking forward to another hour or so of discussion about the defense. Take, uh, take a listen. If you haven't downloaded it, please go do that now. Uh, we talked about the, the, the most dominant dominant wins in Ravens history. I think this is in contention for that. Uh, and uh, certainly was a great one. If you if you uh, are interested in that, if you want to hear about the pass rush, if you want to hear about packages and the difference between big nickel and and uh, and uh, standard nickel, uh, we talked a lot about the the Ravens pressure schemes and uh, how they were getting home. And, uh, you know, what were the big things that the Ravens can take away from a big win like this and hopefully uh, uh, take forward for the remainder of the season and uh, and into a deep playoff run. So lots of good stuff. I'd, I highly recommend you, you, you go give that a listen. Uh, but right now we're going to talk about the individual player performances from this, from this win. Gabe, who do you want to talk about first? So I'm going to start with Geno Stone. Um, it's been one of my favorite um, Ravens since he's been on the team. You know, he's, he came in, I think six round draft pick, was on the team for a while, got got released, signed back, you know, signed to um, a one-year deal um, for this season. Um, you know, always been a, a reserve a reserve player for the Ravens defense, been a core special teamer. And you, interestingly, we 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 talked about him, I think, in the preseason. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we talk about in the preseason uh, is expectations and you know what makes a good season, what makes a great season. Um, and one of the things that we talked about was, you know, him basically coming in and playing a full-time position being a a great season for him. Um, and you know, one of the unfortunate caveats with that is that probably means somebody got hurt. Well, it it did happen. Unfortunately, you know, Marcus Williams has missed some time. Um, and Gina Stone has come in and not only has he filled in 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 pretty big shoes, but he's played some of the best football we've seen from the safety position in quite some time for the Ravens. Um, he's having an exceptional year. Um, it's a little sad because you think there's probably zero chance that he's going to be able to come back to the team after this. Um, but this is a year to, to remember for him. Um, he had another great game. I think it was four weeks now in a row that he's had an interception. 
Um, he has a knack for being in the right place at the right time, whether that's film study, I think that's a large part of it. Um, just kind of maybe a little bit of luck, but he also has good hands. You know, he's coming down with the football a lot of times <laughs> in years past the Ravens have dropped those balls. Um, so I'm excited for him as a player. I think he is well-deserved. He's put in a lot of hard work. He's a very good player and the Ravens are reaping the benefits now of, of having him on the roster at this point in his career. So loving the game, the the way the announcers were calling the game and Romo basically, no, that can't be Geno Stone again. <laughs> it's just, it's the, it's the weirdest thing to them. A point was made and Humphrey made a post that he deleted about um, Stone not winning defensive player of the month for October when he had four interceptions and the leader had fairly pedestrian stats, a couple sacks and a bunch of tackles and, you know, it was a, it was a it wasn't a bad month for whoever did it, but Stone had obviously a lot of highlight plays that helped the the Ravens to a pretty fantastic October. Um, do you think he got? A, a, well, I, I'll tell you one thing: he didn't do himself any favors by missing a bunch of tackles during the month. So he made fifteen tackles, but he missed seven. That's a thirty-two percent missed tackle rate. You know, when your set of contributions is fairly thin in terms of the total number of plays you have a chance to lose out despite a four interception month. And to, to me, really unfortunate. He probably should have won it. But, you know, in terms of, I think in terms of the, the, the value of the individual plays, I think you, you, you make a good case for it. But um, anyway, I, I, how did you feel about that? Um, you know, I, I felt like it, he did deserve it. I mean, anytime a player has four interceptions in a month, that's pretty unique. It doesn't happen that often. Um I, th- I think it's probably, frankly, a, rec- a name recognition type thing. You know, he's not someone who's been around. He's not someone who's ever been to a Pro Bowl or, you know, been who wasn't highly drafted. He doesn't have any pedigree, really. Um, and it wasn't it's not, it's not necessarily a flashy thing. Um, so it's 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 probably harder for him, a player like him to kind of make that mark. Um, if he does it again for another another month and has four more interceptions in the month of November, then I think it would be hard for him not to win it. I would, I would hope for the second straight, the second straight month of that kind of production. And, and well, he's on pace for it. So we'll see if he can keep it up. I say Quincy Williams, 45 tackles, six tackles for loss, two sacks and a forced fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Big month, obviously for Quincy yeah. Williams. I don't, I don't want to you know put this down. But I will say Bart Scott in 2006, who was not a well-known name at the time, he'd played sparingly for four years with the Ravens, jumped in and won the September uh, Defensive Player of the Month. And I think the, the, the defining characteristic is how great your defense is overall, which garners you the attention. And then they try and figure out who on that defense should get it. And uh, I, I don't know exactly how the voting works or if there's a panel and they're talking to each other. It's like you and me making a decision. Okay, okay. then we can narrow it down to Quincy Williams and Geno Stone. Which one of these should it be? Or if it's like some voting is going on by various you know media people and they're each contributing votes and Ravens players are maybe splitting votes because you, you know somebody's voting for Roquan, somebody's voting for Stone mm-hmm. and whatnot. But, uh, but anyway, or Matabike for that, for that yeah. matter, yeah. another player who might have deserved it. Um, but anyway, it's it's it, I, I don't know exactly how the voting works for it, but it, it it seemed a little funny to me. Here's the other question that I have seen chatter about online: Is Geno Stone a potential defensive player of the year candidate, or maybe maybe you know we all know it's kind of unlikely. What would he have to do to get there? I think at a minimum, 
for a defensive back, you need to double double digit interceptions. I, I think that's probably the mark that has to be met, which is doable. He's in, in the second half of the season for him, I think. Um, but it's it's hard to win for a defensive back. And I think the last time a safety won it, I want to say it maybe Troy Palomalo. I'm not sure. Is that 2008 then? Go it might have been. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I think we've had a couple of cornerbacks since then, mm-hmm. but but you know I think a lot of NFL people would say a cornerback is a more impactful position than safety, um, just because of you know you're shutting down. Especially it's going to shut down corner almost always. Who's also going to get you know a high number of interceptions. That's as kind of the recipe. I think the last cornerback to get it was um, I was blanking on his name. The 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 one out of New England. Uh, I think it was three or four years back. Um, oh, um, place um, for Dallas now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Sorry about old. that, but yeah. it's been a few years for a cornerback as well. Um, I think it's generally uh, an edge player or defensive tackle. I think it's it's been mostly been a, a sack artist in the past, you know, several years. That's that's who has gone to. Yeah. I, I agree, and I think his his chance to win it is it's, it's Stephon Gilmore is who you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, and so Aaron Donald's won it three times: seventeen, eighteen, and twenty. T.J. Watt won it once. J.J. Watt won it once. Khalil Mack, Nick Bosa, J.J. Watt a second time the year before. You have to go back to 2013 to find somebody who really breaks the corner slash. Well, Aaron Donald is is not an edge rusher, but. You know, he's, he's a, in a special class of his own as an interior guy. Luke Keekley, the last inside line mm. backer to win it in 2013. So, I mean, it's true. It hasn't really gone to a safety. And, you know, I think his chances are low. But I think if I were to map out several paths, I think they're all low percentage chances. But I think he could he could put up an extraordinary interception total. And you, you say double digits. I'm going to say maybe he almost needs to get – 11 or 12 I'd like 12 I believe would tie the NFL record for a season um I know Paul Krause had 12 uh, I think in 1964 but somebody else may have had may have had 13 since Lester Hayes or somebody like that I, I could be wrong but anyway I think he needs a number like that with some other big plays on the returns which so far he hasn't really had you know he's had some step out of bounds issues with uh, uh, returning the football, but he hasn't he hasn't really capitalized on his returns as yet. Having trouble with my sound? Uh, let's let's hear you. Are you are you doing okay, Gabe? You're on mute right now. Sorry about that. I I, I lost my sound connection there for a second. Okay, okay. okay. you can hear me now though, just fine, right? Okay, we should be okay because yours is recorded separately, just in case you folks out there needed some technical detail on how our sound works. But anyway, talking about multiple paths that Geno Stone has to to make the uh, uh, to be a defensive player of the year. So extraordinary interception total, something on the returns is number one. Coming number two is a combination of a league-leading total, which might be eight to ten interceptions. That's not too much of a stretch right now for him to get that, but with a broader set of defensive contributions. So he needs to do something in the pass rush. He needs to maybe play a strong safety once Williams returns. And this is an interesting point because Geno Stone is not going to be a pure free safety anymore once Williams returns. I think a large portion of that is that Williams' injury would seem to preclude that. You know, if Williams is really playing with one arm for most of the year, he's going to be playing free safety. He's not going to be playing strong safety. Yeah, that's a good point. It might allow Stone to play more in the box a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So he could potentially rack up some of the tackle 
numbers. Um, I know they're just counting stats. It's not the most flashy thing, but it goes. I think it does definitely is considered in the equation. Uh, so if he could be up, you know, 80, 90 tackles um, plus eight to 10 interceptions, if he can have a couple of sacks, maybe force fumble or fumble recovery oh. score, you know, that would definitely give him, I think he would, that would put him in, in like the, the conversation at, at, at least. Um, so and that would be a really exciting thing. Um, if, it would be a great story as well. I, th- I think it so. would be an incredible story for the NFL. If a player like Geno yeah. Stone wins a defensive player of the year, which is one of the reasons why they might want it to happen, mm-hmm. which is, exactly. is, is kind of cool. The, the other thing that Stone could do, and we don't want to even think about the prospects of why this might occur, but if Stone suddenly becomes the putty that holds the defense together because of a major injury, and look, I don't want to jinx this by saying who, but you can probably figure out. It's either inside linebacker spot would be a huge place where Stone would be an enormous part of fixing that hole if it were there. Um, it could, it, I mean, it's, it's happening right now in terms of his play at free safety, but that's kind of, it's a standard position. So it's almost like he has to do something else different. Stone's never going to go to outside corner, but he definitely could move up into the box and play some dime. Um, if if the Ravens had an injury at at uh, at inside linebacker, so we we certainly hope that doesn't happen. But you know, if he suddenly is holding the defense together and is the guy like Teron Matthew that that people moved around to uh, to fill whatever hole you needed, then you know, that is a path to it that I'm included in this broader set of contributions path. Yeah, and, and I think the one thing that's going in his favor is how well the Ravens defense as a whole is playing. Oh, yeah. Because I, I think generally, you know, that, that player of the year is is going to, if not the best defense, you know, one of the best two or three units. And and I think the Ravens are on track to be in that conversation. I, I, I completely agree, and that was my fourth reason why I think you could admit it. If, if, the, if the Ravens defense reaches a historic status or even is so clearly head and shoulders above the rest of the league, which they might be, although the Browns are – you know, right there in contention with them right now. If the if they if they're head and shoulders above the rest of the league, the problem for Gino becomes that there's a whole bunch of teammates who become competitors. And so Roquan Smith and you know maybe even players like Jadavian Clowney or Owe or certainly Matabike um or Patrick Queen or or I don't know if Marlon Humphrey is it's too late for him, but Kyle Hamilton could be a possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, all those guys become competitors who can take away votes from you. Yeah, yeah that's that's one of the difficult parts because especially as I think his position, he's not the player who's going to get 20 sacks, you know, like, right. like an edge rusher who's clearly like, that's the guy who's making the biggest difference on the team. You know, that's why that award, I think like 80% of the time goes to, you know, the, the sack artist, whether it's, you know, the rare defensive tackle like Aaron Donald, more often it's the edge guy who's, who's putting up 20 plus sacks in a season. Um, it's hard to compete with that for sure. If you're, if you're just, you know, playing on the back end and not getting some of the other stats. Yeah. It's, you know, what, what's, what's true about that is very summarizable. So, you know, you, you I'm sure in your work, you you put together a lot of slide decks for projects and explain things and whatnot. And the more your information could be packaged with, you know, quick hitting comments or, or statistics that, Big people go, oh my God. And you know, the best statistics are the ones you don't even have to beat the beat the other person over the head with them to make them like, explain how important the statistic it is. You just kind of leave it there in your presentation. They go, wait a minute, you're telling me that's true. And they come to the conclusion that you wanted to by themselves. And you know, sack totals will do that. You know, other things won't. 
But one thing that I think could help him is if one of these research avenues, maybe it's through the big data bowl, maybe it's through something else that Sumer Sports doing with Eric Eager over there now or the PFF guys do, come up with some great heat map of why opposing defensive coordinators quarterbacks are avoiding Geno Stone. And wait a minute, are they putting the Tom Brady armband treatment? Or is, is he getting that across the league right now? Well, then he's got a low – his, his – Interception rate is is depressed artificially. You know how can that be? It, it would be something like that that puts him on the map, the heat map, and the map of of voters. That I think could could be another route to it. All put together, by the way, I think there's about a two percent chance he wins defensive <laughs> player year. What, where, where are you on that? I would say it's less than ten percent. Um, maybe I'll go I'll, right now. You know, I would say probably five percent. I think wow. the interceptions is is a flashy number. Um, and I think there is a story there. I think that helps, and I think the Ravens' defense as a whole helps him out. So if you can, if you can have double-digit sacks, or sorry, sorry, not sacks. If you can have double-digit interceptions, which is reasonable, I think at this point, um, yeah, I think there's there's a not completely outside the box chance. So I don't know if there's some odds out there on it. I'd be curious to see what, if he's even on we the list. Look for that. If it, we, if it exists, we should definitely look for that because there might be a field bet too you can make, and mm-hmm. then you know you get Gina Stone basically. Um, here's the here's the other the other the next question that follows on that Gina Stone being all pro handicap that for, for me right now. That I think he has a much better chance at. I would say probably um, I'll give him you know a one to I'll give him like a plus five hundred to be all. Okay, so just to be clear, that's one chance in six that it occurs. So you're saying about Mm -hmm. 70%. I I put 20 on that. So we're close on that one. How about making the Pro Bowl? I think he's a lock. A lock? Okay, I said 70%. Yeah, I would say like, I'll say 90% chance of making the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Okay, but you are even more optimistic on Geno Stone than me. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's my my Geno Stone bias. (laughs) I I really like him as a player, but it's hard not to, you know, be impressed by the 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 I mean the, the one the Ravens do a good job of, of voting in their players for Pro Bowl historically um, and I think you know the the interception numbers speak for themselves and kind of there has been a little bit of a story especially you know every week even coming down with an interception um, and if it continues even more I think you know that becomes even closer to that but yeah I, I think Pro Bowl for sure okay. All right. Well, I mean, if he if he makes the Pro Bowl, I think he probably already has priced himself out of Baltimore, a team that's already paying for two safeties. Um, they, there's, I know there's people thinking, oh, look, they could just trade Marcus Williams. No, they can't. They have to take about a $9 million hit next year. And I don't probably need to remind folks this, but my stern voice is coming on that they already spent $18 million of next year's money, or actually about $14 million of next year's money, potentially, on, on Odell Beckham. That's the reason... We can't have Stone next year or Matabike or Zeitler or probably a number of other players, Dobbins, you know, Clowney. You know, there's <laughs> just a whole bunch of players that we can't have because so much was spent already out of next year's cap um, in, in void years this year trying to get it won. So um, it's it, there'll be a huge raft of free agents leaving town. We just got to wish them the best. Hope they have huge seasons this year. Go to an NFC team, have big seasons again next year and maximize the <laughs> The draft compensation the Ravens will get. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's a lot of players who were available for cheap. Ravens took advantage of that, and they definitely increased their price f- for the coming season. So, 
I, I wouldn't rule out, you know, a couple of players coming back to put to play for the Ravens. Um, you know, they, they can make some things happen with the cap. There's a lot of contracts that can be adjusted here and there, but um, it's going to be tough to bring back more than, you know, probably two or three at most. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I'll take a, I'll take another player. We'll talk about, um, you know, the guy who's had a, had a good game this game and has been going well now for several weeks is Travis Jones. I've really been impressed with, uh, with the amount of pressure he's getting. Um, he had an amazing statistic from this last game that I got to, I got to bring out though. When Travis Jones is on the field, so he played 37. I'm sorry. That's not the right game. That's, that's for the whole season. He's played about 37% of the snaps in this last game against Seattle. He played uh, 19 snaps of 47, not too much off his off his pace for the year. Um, the the Seattle Seahawks gained five yards on those plays, five yards on 19 plays, 0.3 yards per play when he was in. Um, Jones had been having a lower percentage of sacks than than most of the other linemen, but there were three sacks while he was in among 15 pass attempts in this game and a, a turnover as well. So outstanding. Outstanding game from Travis Jones. He he got pressures himself. Uh, actually, I just have him for one pass defense in this game as in terms of a pressure event. Uh, but he also was uh, was in there making good plays against the run. And the team is very effective um, with him in there, generally absorbing blocks and and doing the things he does well. Yeah, I, I think he has played well for the Ravens, and and he's definitely been someone who's under the radar a little bit. You know, he had a very impressive preseason for the team. Um, but he's kind of taken an, a, a second seat to, you know, the, the defensive tackles that we talked about earlier. Um, the ones Pierce, Matabike, they've been on the field more often in the kind of high leverage passing down situations and deservedly so they've played very well, but I think Travis Jones is someone who has that skill set to step up and have more of an impact if they want to kind of, you know, rot- have more, more of a rotation there. Um, I think Travis Jones can probably benefit by playing with Michael Pierce a lot and learning from him. I, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. different body types, but you know, I think that in terms of what they can do physically, I think there's some similarities there um, in terms of the ability to kind of you know use leverage, manipulate, press the pocket, um, kind of bully offensive linemen around. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do um, the rest of this year and, and next couple of years to come because he is one of the few you know, young core defensive tackle players that the Ravens have in the upcoming season. And and they're going to be needing a lot out of him um, over the next two seasons. Yep. Very exciting player. Who do you got next? Um, I'll talk about, you know, we, we already spent some time on, on Kyle Van Noy. Um, so I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on him. And in the previous episode, we, we spent a bit of time on him, but one of his, you know, compatriots at the position um adapt away we didn't talk as much about um he had a sack in this game i think almost an, another near sack um he, that has been kind of one of the hallmarks of of his young career has been almost the almost sacks but i think he's starting to put together a, a little bit more um he, there's he's his athleticism is definitely on display still, especially on those kind of stunts that he's been used a lot on. Um, there was one play where he kind of looped around the entire offensive line. And this game was interesting to see. He started, I think on like the right end and looped all the way around to the left end to kind of generate a pressure force a throw away. Um, just a really impressive player. 
coming back from injury and, you know, not missing a beat. You know, he had a great first week, um, missed some time, and now he's still being a very impactful player down to down. He's generating pressure. He's a very underrated edge defender, I think, at this point. He's very good at setting the edge. I think the Ravens missed him in the stretch where he was mm-hmm. out um, in terms of their um, run defense. Um, and teams haven't been able to kind of run off tackle at that outside linebacker position the same way now that that OA is back, you know, between him and Clowney um, and Tavius Robinson. I'll give him a little shout out. He's been pretty well on the edge as well. Um, they, have, they have some stout edge, edge guys now. Um, and it's good to have, you know, that full, well-rounded, um, young outside linebacker that I think can be a cornerstone for the Ravens, you know, moving forward. Malik Harrison also, I think, has played pretty well this year. Yes. Uh, he, he, he really had been stringing together some great games, had a couple of missed tackles recently. But uh, he's been a guy who uh, who has set the edge very well. And the Ravens are not afraid. I mean, in the base package, the, the, the thing they're basically going to on early downs is him and Tavius Robinson on opposite ends of the line. That's really trying to conserve those uh, snaps for the big three. Uh, to get in at the most uh, impactful time when they're, when it's second and 10 or when it's uh, other times. And about the only time they get away from that is on the very first snap of the game, they use Harrison and uh, and Clowney to try and give them both the start. But other than that, mm-hmm. they, they, they've they been going with Robinson and, and Harrison in the, in the base package. It was a, it was a, uh, a good game for both of them. I think they have been setting the edge effectively. It's nice to see that from Tavius because he needs to find a way to contribute. He's in danger of being on the inactive list. Uh, as the season rolls on here, and in particular, if Tyus Bowser comes back. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to shake out, because then, um, in theory, you'd be carrying six outside linebackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you consider Malik Harrison an outside linebacker, maybe you, you know, he's been playing there this year, maybe you, you shift him kind of over to the inside linebacker and, and deactivate somebody at that position. I'm not entirely sure how that would work. Um, if you want to have him, I, I think, you know, he, he has been pretty strictly outside linebacker this year. Yeah, strictly. Um, he hasn't played any so, outside linebacker. So it, I, I'm curious to see how that would shake out because I don't know who would the player who would be taken off the active roster at this point. Maybe he's a defensive back. Well, to, it's no doubt to me it's Tavius Robinson at this point. Mm-hmm. You, you'd you'd sit him, and and that's that's really the danger here. But Malik Harrison is way too valuable on special teams to be deactivated. Yeah. You know, he's he's not quite the team captain, although. I've been trying to see if they're how they're using Stone now that they have the paucity of safeties. Um, you know, if you if you got a shortage there, can you really afford to have Stone be playing every snap on special teams the way he used to, or do you need to move Malik Harrison into that personal protector role, uh, or or just have him you know call the signals otherwise? They've they've done they have other guys they have other guys on the team like Daryl Worley and others who are who are good choices. It's just the the problem is it's often a safety and the Ravens need to keep their safeties healthy right now. So. Yes. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, it'll be, you know, honestly, it's a good problem to have. If they have to deactivate a healthy scratch, you know, we look at that and we, you know, sometimes we kind of scratch our heads and ask questions about why is that guy a healthy scratch? But honestly, if you've got healthy scratches at this point of the, of the year at any position, you're a pretty healthy football team. There's a, there's a lot of walking wounded around the NFL who are activated without that being the, really the smart decision. I mean, at the beginning of the season, the, the Ravens had an, an active list that was completely full of players who couldn't yes. suit up. So we we felt that you know, is just a few weeks ago. Um, so let me rephrase that question then in terms of who is removed from the fifty-three man roster if you know someone like Bowser is is ready to okay. come back. 
is it, maybe there's an injury and yeah. there's, it makes it an easy kind of decision. But right now, like, like you said, the Ravens are, are fairly healthy. Um, where do you think, and you, you know, we have talked about Ndama Kung Su as well as a player who could potentially be added. Um, who do you think is the odd man out um, who, who might be lost in that situation? So they already, they already, you know, gotten a serious nut cutting time in terms of cuts by cutting Kayvon Seymour, which right. that that's a player who, you know, the team is, he's a valuable backup cornerback. He's very valuable on special teams. He's probably the guy after stone who's going to run special teams. You know, if, if stone wasn't available for some reason. So, you know, you, you definitely want to have that guy around and yet he's, uh, um, you know, he, 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 he got hurt himself, actually. Um, I think in this this last week, so there may be a question about his availability. But um, you know, he's now in the practice squad. They've used one of his three elevations. And in terms of who they who they would cut next, I I don't even know because they don't have a running back who's like kind of on the bubble at this point. All three of their guys, they if they if they cut them, they they either lose them or they end up eating money. With in the case of uh, well Edwards, I'm sure they would lose, but they, but they would they would um, uh, eat money. And and with Hill. The same thing because he's signed through next year. Uh, obviously, they're not going to cut Keaton Mitchell at this point. He'd be scarfed up at a second by 24 other NFL teams probably. Um, so anyway, it, it, I I have a hard time seeing exactly who it would be. I guess Daryl Worley maybe is a guy you can handshake deal back onto the team. And you really playing with fire to be down to two safeties and have one of your third guy as an activation. But, you know, given the long history they have of expensive dinners to get Worley to accept the next transaction he's going through, I, I don't actually know what the process is, <laughs> but they've been, they have a very close relationship with Daryl Worley in terms of, of uh, uh, getting him okay with transactions. I guess it could be him. Um, you know, I, I'm, I wouldn't be really thrilled about that. I guess if you signed in Kung Su and you really wanted to shift some snap burden, uh, Brent Urban might be a guy who would go to the practice squad. Yeah. The, the other name that I, I'm wondering, and it depends on how high they are on him, Yeah, but in terms of his contribution this year, it's Jalen Armour Davis, um, yeah. who has essentially not done anything for them um, and doesn't seem to be needed on the depth chart, but is a player you, you would like to have in the future um potentially but if you're thinking this year alone then he might be the player that i'd be thinking about right i i, I don't think that's unrealistic um you could probably take a chance on tylen wallace uh on cutting him uh you know the other guy and this is this would be a risk but i i'm not sure how much of a market there is for the guy jad as a second year player i think that market the, the risk is actually fairly small of losing him but there might still be someone who who really scouted him heavily and wants to take a chance on a guy who's in his second year. But the other guy is Salah. I mean, Salah is clearly not ready to step on an NFL playing field. You typically want to have um, nine guys on your off among your offensive linemen who are healthy. Um, and they, they have I'm trying to think, yeah, they not including Salah. They still have eight. So if they cut Salah, they would still have eight, but it would be, they'd have to wait for Moses to come back to have nine again. Um, so there's a little bit of risk there, but, uh, but I think he'd be a guy that, that, you know, at this point, obviously he's a developmental lineman yep. chances get taken with those players and occasionally they get lost. Um, I don't think anybody really right now would be deluded into the thinking he'd be a left tackle prospect or the Ravens probably would have already shown him there. No, I, I mean, I think he's a guard only 
and he's a card who's not nearly ready to play. Mm-hmm. So to your point, unless another team has a is you know has no chances of, of winning, you know maybe a team that's one instead of like the Carolina Panthers or there's Arizona Cardinals who just want a warm body yeah. that has potential. That that's that's that would be my concern about dropping cutting someone like that. Um, but you know it's when you're in a position where the Ravens are, when, when you're in potential, you know, Super Bowl contender, I mean, we talked about that. We think they are a Super Bowl contender. Um, the very good odds of, of making it to that game and winning that game. Um, you want to put your best team out there. You, know, you might not necessarily have the the luxury of, of having a, a kind of a bench warmer on your 53 man roster. Right. There, there are, I mean, the Ravens so far have not lost Tayshawn Manning off their practice squad. He was a guy who uh, looked like a prospect coming out of Kentucky and might have been a guy who, who uh, you know, would have been on a roster now. Uh, they have some other guys there. Most of the, a lot of their practice squad is already filled with guys in their eighth year. You know, guys like Laquan Treadwell. Um, and I, I've, I've looked at the list, but what is, you know, it's almost hilarious to look at this. It's like a... Um, I, I, I don't want to compare it to that because it's it's not a fair comparison. It just it, it, it'll be derogatory to the players involved. But it's like um, uh, I, I can think of another example of this. But it's a lot of late career players, and they have a relatively thin group of prospect type talent who is true developmental talent on that on that practice squad. They have a few. Uh, Manning might be the best name. Vokalek is out there. Jeremy Lustian is out there. They've got a few guys who who figure into their twenty four plans. But uh, but it's not a lot. It's not a, not a whole lot of players. All right, whose turn is it? My turn to pick another player. Yes. All right, let's continue. I, I want to talk about Marlon Humphrey because you know, he's been having kind of a struggleish season, but he hadn't been targeted too much. Again, this this game only gets targeted three times, one catch for five yards, and that's just really good. Um, he was there deep on one coverage. I think he was there in the end zone when Stone had the. PD on the pass. Um, There's his first mm-hmm. non-interception PD. Um, but anyway, that he he's been with the receivers and uh, you know gave up one five-yard throw is is nothing. And uh, uh, generally playing good football now. And and I wanna I wanna see that continue because his overall stats for the year is still not that impressive. I believe his passer rating against is still over a hundred. That'll change by the way dramatically if he gets an interception. Uh, but he's, he's allowed a fairly high percentage of completions against him for the year. I'm trying to go to that information right now. Um, well, 9 of 14 for 104.5 rating. That's actually improved dramatically, but um, uh, been penalized four times too. And he wasn't penalized in this game, which is nice. He had four in the previous three games combined. Yeah, I do feel like one of those penalties was kind of bogus. Um, but it, yeah, he, he hasn't had the best kind of bounce back um coming back from injury but this game you know i think against good competition too um i I think Mm -hmm. he really um showed that he is still a top tier corner um and he's gonna be a big part of what the ravens are going to do down the stretch um they're going to need him i think against you know especially some of these teams like the bengals um like the 49ers dolphins that are very um, aggressive downfield, um, and you know, having him able to take away a top option of the opposing offenses is, is something that 
this defense doesn't have outside of him. I mean, maybe maybe Kyle Hamilton to a certain extent, and depending on what the what he's covering, if it's a tight end, I think he does a really good job. But you know, he's not really the guy who's going to be able to line up again, across from Jamar Chase and 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 limit him. And, and Marlon Humphrey, when he's playing his best, can do that. We have to depend on Burrow's arm strength and two safeties over the top limiting what they have at receiver. T. Higgins is, is an enormous size mismatch for anybody. And uh, Boyd can get down the seam effectively, but you, know, you mm-hmm. take a lot of that away with the cover two scheme. And then Chase's ability to get down the field you know, puts Burrow in the awkward position of having to force it. And Burrow in that first game was 0 for 7 with one pick throwing 15 yards or more. So I, I'm I'm actually excited about their 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 options against a team like the Bengals. Low arm strength quarterbacks, perfect for good reading safeties to uh, to figure out. Yeah, and you know that would be a good a good litmus test, I think, as well for the defense. You know they've been playing well, but they haven't had quite that level of quarterback. Um, Burrow is more of a cerebral quarterback, accuracy quarterback, touch quarterback than he is like pure arm strength. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and they'll have that as well when they, when they play the, you know, the Jaguars and they play the Chargers. You know, those are the players that can really kind of throw it pinpoint accuracy downfield target on a rope. Um, so th- those are, those are also going to be, you know, some dangerous opponents that they're going to have to plan for. Um, Cause th- those, those cover two holes, won't be as, you know, well, they'll be more available to those quarterbacks than they would be against like a, a, a quarterback like Burrow who needs to put it there with perfect timing and accuracy, which he's capable of doing. Um, but having arm strength makes that throw much easier. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how, how well the, this defense can match up against, against those teams. Yeah, it's a, you know, one of the nice things about the Ravens schedule the rest of the way, it's hard, but it yep. should really prepare them for the playoffs. And there's, I'm not saying the chance is zero, but it's a pretty damn limited probability that they're gonna they're gonna miss the playoffs from where they are right now. So you know they need, I mean, to get in, they probably need three more wins at some point during the season. They have a couple not too you know difficult games, and including some divisional games at home. And they, you know they still have five of eight games to play at home the rest of the year. So they've got a lot to look forward to, and and you know their focus, their sights are clearly on the number one seed overall. That's what they that's what they want, and that's what they should want. But it, the amount of preparation they're going to get getting ready for the playoffs from the next few weeks should make them stronger. Yeah, um, I, I absolutely think that's that's part of what allows the best teams to you know win in the playoffs is having that experience against the good teams. They know that they can compete with them. They've been there. They've played against the best quarterbacks. So there's nothing that they haven't faced before. Um, I, I'm glad that, that that the Ravens have a tough stretch down the schedule because I think they're up for it for one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I think it's going to be a good, good experience moving in, into the, the postseason to have have those games to play those quarterbacks. A lot of them who most, most likely will see, you know, in, in the AFC, you know, playoffs and potentially in the Super Bowl as well. Um, if the San Francisco team in particular is, is one of the matchups I'm looking forward to, because that could, could similar to the 2012 season be a, a preview um, of, of, of that, that matchup in, in the championship. All right. Outstanding. How about, uh, do you want to move on to the mailbag here? Or do you want a couple more players or what do you want to do? Um, you know, maybe on? one more player each. Um, Cause I, I did want to touch on, um, on Roquan. Um, mm-hmm. it, it maybe wasn't his most, you know, um, stat driven game um, that he's had, but just his constant presence as a middle linebacker, what he does in coverage, I think is, is truly exceptional for the linebacker position. There's maybe one or two other linebackers in the league who not only are asked to do what he does, but are able to pull it off, um, play in, play out. Um, always seemingly being in the right position, um, knowing he's very cerebral. Like he, he knows what's happening around him. Um, and it's just, it's fun to watch him play football. <laughs> and he's been such a massive contributor to this team. And I think, you know, he, he just needs to be mentioned always as, as a, fun, a foundational player for this Ravens defense. And he's really transformed what they can do um, down in and down out. Yeah, PFF has a very tough standard for missed tackles. It's much tougher than pro football reference. And you'll, you'll hear me say occasionally that various standards disagree on missed tackles, but they have them for only four missed tackles the entire season. In fact, the Ravens only missed two this last game. Yes. One of them was by Owe on the on the sack, on the missed sack for minus six. That ended up being a five-yard run. But the other one was, I, I don't even remember who had it, but two missed tackles for a game is a huge cleanup relative to what they've been doing. Yeah, and they, and they had a couple of games earlier. I mean, they, they had some games that were poor. I think the Cardinals game, for instance, they had mm-hmm. it was double digits. I think that yeah. they missed. Um, before that, they were pretty clean, especially in the open field, um, in several of the games. But it, it's one of those things that kind of goes under the radar um, in terms of like a, a stat, but it really has a big impact in, in how um, the game flows because. Oftentimes, all it takes is one missed tackle, and you know, a, a three and out turns into, you know, a, a complete drive. Um, a, a missed tackle can be backbreaking, even if it doesn't let up a twenty-yard play. Um, it allows drives to continue. It's frustrating for the players because they know they should have made the play, mm-hmm. um, and it can kind of snowball. Um, so, it, seeing the, the, what they did in this past game in terms of their tackling, you know, shows what they're capable of. For one, um, and, and I think it. It, it really set the tone for how dominating the, the effort was. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, I don't know that I have another player that I just have to hit on. I'm always, always thrilled with what Michael Pierce is doing. Um, but we talked a little bit about what he does and the pairing with Justin Matabike. If you want me to detail on that, go out to my article and, and read it there about uh, how Pierce and Matabike are playing together on most snaps. Uh, I think we hit on Hamilton and the relationship to Stone and um, Mallette and Worley in particular with regard to how those those players are arranged in packages. So I don't think we need to go over that again. So that's in the in the first episode as well. So I, I'll call it there. If you have another one you want to bring up, you have my last selection if you want it. 
No, I think that's fine. We talked about definitely the players that I really wanted to, to hit on. So we can move move on to the next segment. Here. Okay. Why don't we why don't we talk about the MVPs first of all for this game and how you would line them up three, two, one. Uh, I've got my guys. Uh, you want to, who's your number three guy? Or if you need a little another minute to think about that, we do the mailbag mag first. Um, yeah, I, I can start with that. I, I will go with Justin Matabike as, as number three for me. Um, just consistent, you know, up the, up the middle. I had another sack in this game. He's stout. He's always in the middle of, of every single pressure. Um, and he's really had this, this breakout season, which I, he's always had, you know, issues with consistency, you know, one game, he'll be a superstar in the next game. He's a zero in the stat sheet. Um, this, this year he seems to be putting it all together. Um, part of that is because he's played more, he's been on the field more. I think that this led to more, more opportunities, but he's also played better, um, than he has in years past. So I think, you know, he deserves it. Um, in this game, he's, he's a huge, huge, huge part of, of what they're doing up front. And, um, I'd, I'd like to, you know, hopefully see him in, the, in this column every every single week. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll, I'll give you my th- my third guy, and that's Kyle Hamilton. Great, he's well rounded effort. Did not uh, have any missed tackles again in this game. Did some great downhill play. Had two contributions to drive ending plays. I always look at that as being exceptional leverage involved uh, with that. And uh, you know. The other nice thing to see is he missed the interception and then he's immediately doing push-ups. I mean, he's he's part of the accountability team on the team very clearly. And despite being one of the real star players at a young age and, and being a guy who, you know, it's possible for a player like Kyle Hamilton to, to get a big head, but he's a very cerebral player. And, you know, the, the, you don't have you don't have dozens of those on a typical NFL team. He's a little bit unusual in, in that regard and, and certainly a guy that uh, – um, that I think does exceptionally well in learning the game uh, as he goes. And, and it's part of what's made him such a great vers- versatile player. And I'm not saying it's an intelligence thing, but Brandon Stevens, he's played a ton of positions lifetime and he, it's taken him a lot more time to adapt being good at his new position. For example, Michael Orr never did. You know, when he got moved around, he, he was really never, I mean, he'd have to be like he's learning a new language to, to play left tackle. And then he goes back to right tackle and he's not nearly as good as he was as a rookie. And so you, you, you're you worried about, you know, what's going on with that. So it's sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And it's usually great, great players who can be moved around in position. Um, but it's also smart players. Sometimes you can do this. So Hamilton's versatility on this team, I think, is, is, is in large part intelligence driven. And I'm glad to see him participating in the accountability drills that he did. Yeah, um, I thought he had that interception for sure. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't necessarily the easiest interception because he did kind of have to go through the receiver there, but he had a beat on it the entire way. Um, it looked like he wanted to have that as a as a pick six, um, and then maybe just kind of took his eye off it at the last minute. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he's been fantastic all year ever since he joined the Ravens. Really, since he's been given opportunity to basically be a starting player. Um, he's, he's a joy to watch. Um, I think for me, the number two um, in this game, I was talk, thinking about a different, couple of different players, but I'm going to go with Jadavian Clowney. Um, and he's been a consistent player for the Ravens, maybe their most consistent pass rusher uh, between him and Matt Abike all, all year. Um, and he's been able to just win in the kind of the one-on-one situations that you need a pass rusher to win at. Uh, but he's 
he also did something in this game which was very impactful as well, which is getting two pass deflections. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that those, in a lot of ways, are are you know huge huge plays. Uh, drive ending, I think one of them was, um, and that makes a huge difference. Even though it doesn't necessarily show up in some of the stat sheets, um, it's a big performance. And you know it's good to see him finish his tour de force against previous um, teams that he's played for to you know get the win against the, the Seahawks. Um, so I, I, I've been enjoying watching him. He's ha- he's having a late career renaissance here with, with Baltimore. And I think you know, he's been a huge contributor. And I think, you know, hopefully he continues to play that way the rest of the season. Yeah, it'd be wonderful if the Ravens could re-sign him, you know, f- more or less on the cheap. There'd be incentives involved, but hopefully this, you know, it could be a relationship and continue. So it certainly seems to like it here. Harbaugh yep. seems to like him. That's some in some ways the best thing. But um, f- I had him for four pressure events in this game. One of them was late, a pass defense, but he had another pass defense and two pressures, um, two drive-ending plays that he contributed to. Clowney has had a lot of the contributory pressures that have led to other people's sacks this year. So if we have a quick pressure guy who, who works off the line of scrimmage, he's the primary one who's, who's getting a lot of this. Van Noy's gotten some too, so I'm not going to put him down but uh, or away. Um, they're all good, but, but Clowney's really been the most consistent, highest level win rate guy that the Ravens have been able to, uh, to, to, to um, depend on. Two other things about this game that I really like. He's very good at shutting down the run, particularly if the run's going to the other side. Does a really good job of closing ground, um, not losing contain on the play, but but uh, but also tracking down the ball carrier. Safeties are kind of known for creeping up to the line of scrimmage and doing that because they know they're not going to get blocked. Um, in Clowney's case, just just was really good at that. Had a couple plays that are, I've got mentioned in my article about him that are that are in his star quality section of of uh, notes for the game. But uh, he's he's been terrific, and uh, boy, are the Ravens lucky to have him. Yeah, and one last thing about Clowney. also my number two guy, by the way. Oh, oh nice, nice. Sorry, mm-hmm. steal your guy. <laughs> right. Um, um, one one last thing about Clowney. I think you know one of the things that he's maybe had an issue with is is the missed tackles, um, and a lot of those have been you know missed sacks, I, I, but some of them have been missed tackle for losses too. I think you know Profile Focus has him for six missed tackles, and I would be surprised if any of them were not in the backfield. You know, I, I think he's been so disruptive he's been able to get penetration he's been able to if not make the play the tackle the sack it's led to another player getting that cleanup tackle or cleanup sack so he's he's been a very impactful player for them yeah and, you know that, that's a great point and and pro football focus also has the stop number which is really like defensive wins so i mm-hmm. believe it uses the football outsiders old definition of how far you have to get to stay on schedule uh, in terms of down and distance he said 17 tackles contributions as they count them. And they usually will are pretty um, rigid about giving assist tackles out and whatnot. So you might have a higher tackle total somewhere else from official sources, but he's got 12 stops among those 17, which is really nice. That's a high rate, even for an outside linebacker or a defensive lineman to, to get that high a percentage of your stops be, be a, you know, a, a win where the offense is not staying on schedule. Yeah. So there's a good go to you then for your for your number one. No, you're 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 the guest. You you tell me who your number one because I'm sure we got the same guy. I, I was gonna say I think we're, I'm gonna steal your your guy again. <laughs> go ahead and do uh, it. What it's gonna be Kyle Van Noy for his performance in this game. Um, back to back sacks, you know, really nice plays. This this the sack fumble, uh, strip sack, I should say. Um, is 
I mean, we talked about him more in the first half, but what is what he's been able to do to come in off the street immediately be you know come in and be a contributor from from day one essentially. Um, it's been a big part of why the Ravens defense is as good as it is. Um, they needed that, that third, you know, outside linebacker to be in that rotation, to be able to get consistent pressure up front. He's a cerebral player. He's able to, to, you know, rush the passer classically. He's able to move and and be a blitzer as well. And coming from, you know, uh, different angles and different alignments. Um, and he's just, you know, a, a great kind of yin yang to what they have with, with away in Clowney. Um, and he's, he's just been in a phenomenal addition and it's so fun to watch him have this, this ability to contribute, um, and in an unexpected way, I, I was not expecting this level of contribution for him. So he's been fun to watch. I mean, me either. This this level of contribution, this style of contribution, all being pass rush based and basically none being dropped into coverage where I thought the Ravens really needed somebody. But it kind of shows up in the notes when I look at this. And, and it's just the down and distance. So the first one is on second and 11, on third and 11, despite ATS, he had a, he had a late PD or sorry, he had a late QH, I should say. Uh, then on second and 10, on third and 21, on third and 15, you see what's going on here. He's getting a lot of the good pass rush opportunities when there's a lot of, you know, there, there's second or third down and there's long yardage to go. He delivered on those though. And, and one of his pass rush contributions kind of went unnoticed. He had two sacks. I don't think anybody missed those. He had two other pressures. He had a quarterback hit that was late. So it doesn't count as a pressure for me, but it's a late quarterback hit. That's definitely impactful when you knock down the other guy's quarterback, if you can do it without getting penalized anytime at all. But there's another one that that honestly got missed, I think. It was on the third and 11 early on. He allowed himself, he didn't allow himself, he forced Peters to necktie him for a holding call mm. on Matabike's sack. Now, that's the great thing about holding calls is they give you the option to say, you know what, we'll take that sack instead, which means they're very costly for the offense. But that would have been a, a, a great way for the Ravens to negate any kind of a positive outcome there that might have you know, been a first down and create a third and 21 instead. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's, it was a big contribution in this game. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't an option taken. Uh, well, well, in some sense, the option was taken. They, they declined the penalty. But they, uh, um, uh, you know, it was, it's, it's a valuable play to generate that potentially um, negative situation for the offense. Yeah, absolutely. I believe he also drew a holding penalty in the previous game against Arizona. I think it was might have been on a run play or, or as a play where the the quarterback was escaping the pocket. Yes, hands up. I yeah. remember him doing yeah. that yeah. on the on yeah. the right so edge. Yeah, it's the, the veteran savvy that, that he brings to the the team. Yeah, yeah. Other than Beckham, Beckham is the ultimate <laughs> anti-hero of penalty drawing, which it's, it's real value he's providing. I don't mean to mean to do it. It's just one of these things that. You know, s- stepping in particular in the Tennessee game, stepping on Jeffrey Simmons' hands, and then just being ready to be pushed down as soon as he got up because he knew it was coming. Oh no! It's the, it's, you know, it's, it's a good thing they play football in that field. Like, you know, a sport that has a lot of flopping, and obviously the fields are, <laughs> are built to take that. You know, but actually, they anyway don't need to get into that. Uh, great, uh, uh, great going through this with you. How about we we talk about a few questions from the mailbag since we got our MVPs done, and I'm going to go over there and ask you to do the same, and we'll uh, we'll kind of walk through some of these questions because we had some great ones this week. Yeah, there there was um, there was one that I wanted to bring up. I'm trying to find who, who the 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 listener was, reader who was who asked it, um, but it was about 
Brandon Stevens. Um, okay. And I'm trying to find who actually it was, and I'll tr- try and find it. But basically, the question was, you know, what, what are the chances of Brandon Stevens um, being being brought back, um, or not being brought back, but being brought extended uh, midseason? Um, and I think that there's actually a a pretty good chance that that could happen. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they've done it in the past with players who are kind of in this mold, mold of like having um, being kind of elevated to a, a different level in, in the season. I think Chuck Clark is a perfect example of a player who still had some time on his contract. He's been playing really well in his first kind of major time starting. I think um, at that point, I forget he was even filling in at that point. Um, but, you know, I think Stevens is clearly a player that, you know, the Ravens had eyes on, you know, that they, they knew had this potential um, for various reasons, wasn't able to kind of fill that potential. And we can talk about that too. Um, but I, you know, I would say, you know, there's probably like a, a 20, 30% chance that they might, they might get an extension then by the end of the season. And I think if not by the end of the season in the off season, I think there's a very good chance that he'll be extended, um, prior to playing out his fourth season, because, you know, there is no other, you know, long-term option that they have opposite of Marlon Humphrey. And I think he fits that mode. I don't think he'll be overly expensive. Um, and I, I think he's a player that the Ravens really like, and he's played very well this season. Yeah, and it, it does make sense in terms of he's a player where there'll be divisible benefit on the table. So he 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 will probably be sober enough, uh, and his, his dad was an NFL player, so he'd probably be sober enough to understand that you probably want to take some risk off the table to take some guaranteed money here, and uh, he's got a chance to do that. So they might extend him for three years before his fourth season, which really means he'll be a Raven for, for 24 through 27 would be the likely thing. Six million per year, maybe. Maybe it needs to be more, but you know, it'd be some amount that would that would uh, be not a backbreaking number to the Ravens. They'd be getting him a slight discount, and he'd be he'd be signing early and guaranteeing his uh, his bankroll, which I think makes a lot of sense, by the way, for a for young player. Yeah, and I, just to um, to get back to who I think that was said Jeff B on Twitter who asked okay. about the extension. Oh no no no! It was Zach. It was Zach Weinberg who asked about the extension, and and Jeff asked about uh, the play of, of Brandon Stevens, and, and maybe we take a second to talk about Brandon Stevens as well as a player. Um, and I think that you know part of the reason is he was kind of shuffled around. We talked about you know different players being shuffled from position to position. He played mostly safety um, in his first year with the Ravens. He played some outside corner, but um, that he didn't really play mostly corner until last year. But it was kind of like moving in and out of, of the starting um, of, the, of the lineup. Um, I think, you know, this starting in this leading into this season, this off season, they decided you're just playing cornerback. You know, we drafted you um, potentially to play you at safety, but, you know, things change. You're going to be a cornerback now. That's what he played in college that last year, even though he played running back before that. So he's kind of moved around a lot. <laughs> Yeah, he, he um, really played when he was at SMU. This was one of the hard things yeah. about scouting him and going back and watching the film is that they moved him around on a down-by-down yeah. basis between all three of slot corner, outside corner, and safety. Yeah, so so he's moved one position, another position, another position, another position, basically throughout his entire career playing football for the past four years. Um, this year, he's just been this your, your cornerback. This is your position. I think the, the scheme has helped him. I think he's better suited in this type of scheme where he may not have to be kind of 
playing tight man coverage, you know, 50% of the time, um, allowing him to, you know, keep his eyes in front of him. Um, he has the athleticism to, to run with receivers. Um, but, and he can be pretty sticky in coverage too. Um, I think he can sometimes get lost in terms of finding the ball. That's probably his biggest weakness right now, mm-hmm. but overall he's, he's really impressed me this year. He's someone that, like I said, I think the Ravens would do, would like to definitely keep around. I think now is the time, um, to kind of get a deal in place for that. Yeah. I, I, you know, the Ravens are set up with safeties that might make Steven's job, you know, one that's easier here. So this probably ought to be a conditions under which he'd really like to play. That's not enough. Usually the money rules. What I'll say is in, in terms of Stevens, um, he hasn't had a penalty in the last five games. So that's been a terrific run he's been doing. He hasn't allowed a touchdown all season. He's had two interceptions and his passer rating against for the entire season, and this is PFF uh, calling out the targets for us, which is usually correct, is 68.1. I think we take that you know, yeah. from a corner. Yeah. He hasn't had a single game where he's been chucked at for 100 NFL rating. That's very hard to do, by the way. Very hard to do because all it takes is you know somebody to catch two out of two balls against you for 40 yards and you're going to give up 100 rating. Um, even – with no interception, um, you know, even if there's no touchdown involved. So you, you you really don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard to avoid that. And he's been thrown at a ton, which I think has helped because he actually, you know, has a lot of chances per game. So he doesn't run into these situations where people complete two out of two passes against, as has been the case for, for instance, against Marlon Humphrey, but mm-hmm. love the penalty reduction, love the way he's playing, love the trend of his season this year. Um, not only within his career, but also this year, how he's progressing during the season. He's down to, uh, let's see, 6.5 yards per target. So, so far now for the year, he was over seven earlier. But, um, you know, he's he's playing some great freaking football. And I'd be all for a resigning. Let me bring up one more question. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna try and get to a couple more of these here. Um, we had an absolute great question that, that I couldn't get to in 280 characters here. It's from Chris Raganisi. And he says... Thoughts on the safety rotation when with Williams back? Big Nickel feels like the answer, but don't love Williams or Gino in a SS role. By the way, great point there. Good problem to have, and I know Mike will figure it out. Um, not an easy solution, though, in my opinion. And I said, great question. I'll address on the pod. Um, we talked about this a little earlier, and maybe the hardest thing to figure out about this is whether or not Gino you know, would fit in a strong safety role as the Ravens utilize that strong safety this year. My own personal opinion, I think he can do it. I agree. Um, I think he can do it. I think he's done it in the past. Um, he's filled in all, all around safety. Um, so he has that experience. Um, you know, the missed tackles has been kind of the one, you know, sticky thing with with stone at times throughout his career it hasn't he has at times not been the best there but um you know i've seen a lot of good play from him as well you know coming up um from the safety position and, and run support um he's done well um in plays where you know there's like a, a quick screen pass I, f- I feel like he's made some nice plays in those types of situations diagnosing and being mm-hmm. able to uh, make a play in open space so i feel i feel comfortable with him in the, in the strong safety position and I, and I think that like, like we talked about you're getting your best three 
defensive your your best five defensive backs on the field, and if that includes three safeties, I think you find ways to make it work. And I think you know there's some real interchangeability there too. I don't think it has to be clearly defined if if Marcus Williams is always going to be the free safety and Gino always going to be the strong safety. It may somewhat be dictated by by Marcus Williams' health mm-hmm. um, and what he's capable of doing in terms of. Um, do you, how often do you want him in there making making tackles? Um, because even even though he's absent due to the hamstring injury, I did notice on the field at times him kind of you know flexing the arm, flexing the shoulder, not looking completely comfortable out there with with the injury that he had the pectoral muscle. So hopefully you know this time off has allowed him to heal some in his upper body as well, um, and maybe he's potentially more of a or I should say less of a liability in terms of the run defense. Um, but I think out of those two, Geno Stone is definitely the better option to have in the box than, than Williams um, on a majority of plays. I, I mean, I, I, I go as far as this. First of all, if they're just talking about the amount of split safety usage the Ravens use within this defense, yes, there's times where he's going to roll down and make a play. There's times he's going to have to roll down and cover the slot when Hamilton blitzes, for example. There's certainly things like that that you expect out of Geno Stone. I don't think there's anything in that set that is beyond what he would do. I mean, in terms of being a special teams player, that's one of the core functions he has is being a good tackler. So while it's something that hasn't worked out all the time on defense, I think it's something he can he can improve at. I even think that he'd be a fine dime. I think, you know, it, it, it maybe he's not exactly ready for that this year, and maybe there's a different set of short area the skills he needs to pick up, but he had a great underneath interception in the previous game. I guess it's getting hard to tell the Geno Sand games that have one interception apart because there've been so many consecutive of them. But the, the interception he had, I think it was against the lions was an underneath undercut interception. We actually covered a, uh, a short crossing route instead of being in his usual deep position, did it well. Uh, it's the one he took away from Brandon, Brandon Stevens. Hmm. Right, jumped in front of him. Yep. I, I, I think he's, I think he's, perfectly adaptable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want him as a slot corner. I think that'd be an underutilization of what he did. But if, you know, if he comes up and plays dime in the box, I trust him to rush the passer. I trust him to make the tackles. You need make sure, made sure of the sticks. And, you know, I would trust him to be a much better coverage player than the second best linebacker you could put out there. Yeah, I think that's definitely always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll even see some, you know, uh, maybe not. I was going to say maybe we'll see some dime. I don't know if that'll happen or not, um, but it, it could happen depending on on how the Ravens are doing and if they want to you know, take some of their star linebackers off the field. Um, did you want to hit on um, any more? I got, I, I got to hit on a couple more here because okay. people put in these questions. I really want to make, make sure they can uh, uh, do with this. I do not want to do the Stephen A. Smith rant. Sorry about that, Frank. I just don't, I don't know enough about Stephen A. Smith to really make that sort of a rant and anything I do. I'm sure people take the wrong way. Um, okay. Here's a good one from Cole Philippou. He says, for the sake of playing devil's advocate, what's the biggest hole in the Ravens team? Assuming health holds up. Great question. Yeah. Um, I, so assuming health holds up is, is, is really kind of the key factor there because if there there's any hole, I I do think it might be some of the injury issues we've had, especially at left tackle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we've seen Ronnie Stanley in and out of the lineup a little bit. I don't think he's 100% right now. He doesn't look like he's the same player that he was a couple of years ago. Um, so for me, it might be the O line 
in terms of just their week in week out pass protection. Um, I think they might be a liability. Um, we've seen that in past weeks. You know, Cleveland abused them quite a bit last time they played. Um, they were less healthy then, um, but I think you know that that it would be my probably my biggest concern about the team as a whole would be the health and performance of of the line. Okay. Um, just to pick something different, um, I have not been particularly juiced with the explosiveness of the wide receiver position after Flowers, and that's been part of my issue. Has been that. Flowers is not being used for the number of, you know, for the, for the depth of routes that I would like. I'd like him to have a much higher a dot. I like him to be drawing safety attention, etc. cetera. Um, the other thing I'd like them to do is probably give some of Beckham's snaps to Bateman. Bateman has looked a lot better the last couple of games. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's unfortunate to say, and, you know, people love Beckham and they, they still expect 2015 Beckham to show up again. Um, he's never coming back. Um, Beckham is who he is right now. There's a, there's a whole bunch of savvy things he brings to the field in terms of drawing some penalties, which have real value. There's a whole bunch of other things that he does in terms of the six and a half yards per target that Ravens fans are just going to have to live with. That's that's who he is. And the more they force feed him the ball, the, the more that yards per target number is going to come down. It's not going to go up. And we saw when they tried to feed him the touchdown in the end zone there, they took a throw they should never have been throwing to Beckham. I mean, Woolen had him completely covered, and you know it was a pressured throw and whatnot. And fortunately, Huntley overthrew the whole mess. Um, and then he then he threw up Huntley threw one of the best balls he's probably thrown as a Raven to get it right in there in the corner uh, to to Beckham for the uh, uh, for the touchdown. But they they I don't Beckham is no doubt all a you know, wants the football, will talk loudly about wanting the football, will practice hard and talk about how much more he wants the football. And, hey, he's a wide receiver, so I understand that. But Bateman is the guy who can really do something with the football. And I just I, I want them to to get him involved more in the offense. We've seen the last couple of weeks just a, a, a big rise in what Bateman's done, some good, good trust balls he's made. And um, I think that would be the weakness I'd point to is, is, you know, they've just got to involve Bateman more in that offense. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a really – Good point, and it is promising to see that he's gotten more targets. Um, I think Lamar is starting to build that trust with him again. Um, really, this past week, some exceptional catches by by Bateman, and including the the one throw where, where Lamar kind of threw like a sidearm, like almost like curveball, mm-hmm. like twenty yards downfield, and Bateman made a kind of ridiculous catch on it, and it was in between three defenders. Like that was not an easy throw to make. It was right on the money. Like and Bateman. You know, he kind of made it happen. It was a kind of a fingertip catch that he was able to haul in. Um, really impressive for from both of those. And I think hopefully that's something that can be built on. Um, because I, I agree with you. I think you know the wide receivers need to be more um integrated into the offense. Um and, and, you know, that includes Beckham, that includes Aguilar, but the, the Flowers and and Bateman, those are your two best receivers. Um, and and they should be, I think you know, the ones that are, are getting the most targets in the passing game aside from Mark Andrews. Right. All right. Outstanding. I got one more question I want to hit on, then we'll, then we'll call it a night here. Um, do you, it's from Brett Hammonds, Ravens dad, 1985, who says, do you think Geno Stone is having the best contract year in Ravens history in terms of the contract he will get compared to the preseason expectations? Um, I don't know if I could put it in, in terms of exactly that. Cause you know, Pernell McPhee and other players have been great, but maybe, Above in terms of above preseason expectations, that might be true. 
you know, Paul Kruger is known for having a great year, but the Braves had a number of guys who've been fantastic in their year. They've left the Ravens. Um, uh, Mark uh, uh, Ryan Jensen would be another guy who just took a huge leap forward in his year and all of a sudden became a $42 million man with the Bucs. Um, but he, what Brett says is he was looking at barely over the vet minimum for next year, and now he might earn 10 to $15 million a year. So I guess that's maybe how he's defining it is. You know, some player that we could have had cheap, we didn't get it done, and now we might earn 10 to $15 million a year next year. Probably yes, then, I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think all those names um, kind of – are in that range in terms, especially you know, if we're talking about 10 years ago, you know, the contract Paul Kruger got was kind of a top of the market contract for an outside linebacker at the time. Um, that was, you know, someone who was pretty, I don't, I don't want to say like average. He was probably a slightly above average player before that final season, but you know, he, he really broke out in, in that Ravens Super Bowl run in particular, you know, he was their primary edge rusher in that game or not that game, but in that stretch. Um, and he made a lot of money for himself um, with with that Super Bowl run. Um, he might be the number one in that sense. I, I, who knows? Geno Stone, he could definitely surpass that. I just don't think that safeties get paid that much in today's NFL. So I don't see him kind of, even if he, he does make a contract that's larger than what Kruger got because of you know the way the salary cap is moved, I think in terms of the percentage of the salary cap, probably smaller contract. Right. Right. I, I would, I would basically agree with that. I think he's a, he's probably looking at 4% of cap somewhere, which would be about 10 million. Um, he might get a, a four year deal at that. I mean, the Ravens, they just paid Marcus Williams, who has a much bigger pedigree uh, five years for 70 million. I don't think he's going to quite make that kind of top of the market money, even with a, a really exceptional interception total. I mean, he could, I guess if he gets defensive player of the year, but I think he's more likely to fit in that in, in probably in about a $10 million range. And, you know, all we can do right now is honestly be happy for the guy um, and, and honestly be happy for the Ravens that despite the fact that they fumbled him away by cutting him and the Texans took him away, the Texans fumbled the ball right back to us and then uh, let him, let him get re-signed. Yeah. And, and, you know, there was one other mailbag question that asked, you know, is there any chance that Gino Stone could be extended? I don't see that frankly as being possible because I, I think there's more money to be made um you know on, on the open market for him unfortunately it just uh, he he wouldn't have i mean he might the ravens might be able to say we will have you as your as our third safety who are going to start in like a a, a nickel role and you're basically going to be out there 80 percent of the snaps that's attractive to a certain extent but are they really going to be able to pay him 10 million dollars a year I, I don't i don't know do they want to do that with and without being able to move on from Marcus Williams for at least another year, mm-hmm. potentially. I mean, there's there's some there's some like not zero percent chance that happens, but I, I think it's pretty unlikely, uh, especially considering whether teams are likely able to offer will be more. Yeah, I, I I'm in the unfortunately the same place as you, which means you know you've already paid two safeties, you kind of have made your bed, now you need to sleep in it in terms of of uh, you know the risk of losing another good one. There's a lot of teams out there that don't have a free safety at all. And all those teams are talking about their versatile safeties because, all, oh, we can play anywhere. Well, that usually means you don't have a free safety. Geno Stone is going to bring that to some NFL team that's desperate to get it, and he's going to really get paid for it. And just wish him the best at this point. Yep. 
All right. Outstanding. Always great having a conversation about football with you, Gabe. And we all of a sudden, you know, two and a half hours are gone. We've, we've uh, <laughs> had a lot of fun talking, but we got to call it here. Uh, want want people to know about what you're working on and where they can talk football with you online. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Gabe Fergie. Um, love to talk about the Ravens, you know, anything really Ravens related, you know, contracts, players, trades, performances, future draft, all of it. Um, I have a podcast that's with Jordan Coe, my co-host. Um, we have an episode that should be coming out tomorrow um, talking about, you know, what the Ravens are, are currently situated with their, their win over the Seahawks and some of what we take away from that game. Um, we should have another one coming out later this week, um, a little bit more in-depth kind of look at what's happened in the past couple of games and um, what we're thinking about moving forward as well over the second half of the season. So, um I encourage you all to give it a listen and see if you like it. Um, talk to me on Twitter. I like to, you know, talk with anybody. So, um, yeah, that's 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 my that's my spiel. So, hopefully, you give it a download and like what you hear. Make sure you guys you, you give that show a chance. Jordan and Gabe both very uh, valued and regular guests on this show, and and I always love talking with with each of them. Uh, other folks out there, if you want to do a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'm sure you know by now. But uh, keep your idea kind of small so we can fit it in a shorter episode and deliver some pithy content for people that um, is juxtaposed to this long hour and change content we get with uh, uh, with Gabe and other guests on the show. But uh, really appreciate all of you and all the ideas that have come in for, for shows. Please keep them coming. Gabe, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Ken. Um, always a pleasure. And, you know, hopefully I can come and join you again sometime soon. All right. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. money and transform your home with new appliances now at menards we offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today check out top appliance brands including KitchenAid, maytag whirlpool amana and criterion upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at menards shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at menards.com save big money